Rugby Podcast. It's the Scarlet's Home Edition, last home game of the season. I've got William Davies and Dave Finn. Your thoughts before this game kicks off? Yeah, it's 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 a funny one. I suppose Connacht don't really have a huge amount to play for here other than a performance. And obviously with the team they've picked, there's a lot of guys coming back uh, from... I mean, Dara Leader's coming back from say, 18 months seems to be seems to be yeah, another December, December, to 2015 so I mean it's, it's, a, it's from a whole different background at that stage um, Keen Keller's coming back from a long break Marlon's Bosch off so it's, it's really you get the feeling that they're, going, they're using this game and maybe next week to get ready for this playoff match uh, we don't know who they're going to be playing yet but that seems to be I think what the plan is so Neckley, on the other hand, have turned up with a very strong side. I think they're very serious. Um, they have a lot to play for. They want, they want to play off. Um, they can't... They could, mathematically, I think they can get a home playoff, but uh, I, I don't think it's going to happen. And it's a sellout crowd. There's going to be 6,000 people here. It's Pat Lamb's, potentially his last game in Connacht. Or, in his last, sorry, his last game in the sports ground. Obviously, playoffs might work out and we could be here at the end of May. So there's all that sort of bubbling under. It's been a busy week for Connacht, a lot of announcements, a lot of issues. Bundy getting suspended and Eric taking over the academy. And so it, it, it's, it's just been a very interesting week. Let's hope it's an interesting game. It's a wettish, blowy night here. Stiff wind coming straight down the ground, which is a bit unusual, it's, but it really is going. So we just have to wait and see. I, I, I think, if I had to call it, I'd say Sinegli are favourites to win this. But it really it's about performance. There's a lot of guys there. It's just really interesting to see how they play. Dave, your thoughts? Well, I can't really disagree much with William. I think he's pretty much nailed it full on there. You have to look at the difference. We've got a very strong bench, but our starting 15 is, uh, is, is as William said, especially in the back line, is, is very raw. I don't think they've... I would doubt if they've even played in training together, never mind in, mm. uh, never mind in the game situation. And if you consider that Clannetley can bring off the bench the likes of Gareth Davies, Scott Williams and Dieter van der Merwe, that could you some idea of the starting team they have. They have three Lions in their squad. I think we have three internationals in our, in our starting 15. Um... It's very hard to know. I, I, sometimes you get a feeling that sometimes there are some games where the result doesn't matter. I don't know if the result... I would think the result does matter. But the, I'm with William in the fact that performance matters more. There are guys here who can throw their... who can put their hands up. We know there's a position going in the centre for the first playoff game. That's wide open. Is it going to be Farrell? Is it going to be Griff? Uh, will they... And if it's, if it's either of those, who plays... They're going for one position at 13 because you could imagine that... Craig will play at 12. In that case, then Marnus has, has a chance now to seal that will he be starting 10 for that playoff game. So there's a lot of subplots going on. Um, it's going to be a strange evening as well because this is, as, you, as the lads say, it's the last, it's the last time Pat is definitely going to be at a game here in, in Connacht. He's going to have a big ceremony and saying goodbye to the likes of himself and Conor Phillips. We've had all the announcements about the players leaving. We'll talk more about the one player who's coming in. Um, it's transitional. I have no idea what the atmosphere is going to be like tonight. But I do know one thing. Scarlets are here to win. We have to put in a performance. We certainly do. We'll talk again. Actually, William is, is commentating his first commentary tonight. Uh, it's lovely to see. It's, it's grand. He deserves this. And in fact, uh, again, that's a, that's a further subplot to the game, of course, is that Captain cracky has been coasting along very much, <laughs> thinking he has the position set in. Suddenly, here comes this young, up and, up, this young whippersnapper upstart. And I think Captain Cracky's position as number one commentator for both uh, Craggy Rugby and in Egoi BFM is under serious threat from this young lad. He has to put in a performance tonight. <laughs> Difficult opposition, he's got, but he's got the backup of Joe Healy and indeed yourself, Alan, to give him the stats. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting to see how he gets I have high hopes for this guy and I think he is the future for Galway Bay FM rugby and then that bombshell (laughs) we'll talk again after the game (laughs) Connacht again this is the best position they've had they need to get some tight possession now it's gone out and 
is Tom Farrell in possession. He's tackled. They're in midfield. They're about 15 metres from the line. They're almost in line with the right hand upright. And they've got a penalty. The referee's got his arm out. And Connacht recycling it. But their Sonecli defensive line is holding well. And they're going to have to take it up. And the referee's decided that they're going to go back for the penalty. So that'll be an opportunity for Boshoff to uh, get some points on the board. He's probably 18, maybe 20 metres from the goalpost but he's nearly directly in front he's got the wind behind him he certainly made good use of his first two penalties to touch so it's his opportunity now and kick is on its way the flags are up it's over 10 minutes 30 seconds gone here it's Connacht 3 Sinekli Scarlet 7 that might settle them down a little bit Sinekli win possession on their own 10 metre line and it's picked up and moving away across on the far side McNichol passing out and they're making space again with this Connacht tackling back and it's an offload and inside to Sanekli and they're up to the 22 they've made 20, 30, 40 metres there in a matter of seconds and there's another try potentially here for them Connacht making tackles going back but it's in for Steph Evans It's magnificent support play by the uh, Clinically players there Um, really just no regard for the numbers on their backs they're turning up running beautiful lines of running uh, offering themselves as the player is being tackled he's got two or three options Connacht are actually running out of uh, they're getting bewildered in defence they don't know who to tackle there are that many people running at them Blade feeds in Connacht holding that scrum well they've had a couple of tough ones there Blade feeds it out finds Boshoff Boshoff finds it out to Ronaldson Ronaldson makes his way into the 22 Blade again picking up on the back of that but again Connacht need somebody here to drive through and they have done so and they've got into a position they're about 10 metres out almost in the middle of the field almost right underneath the posts Ronaldson again with a wide pass out and it's just knocked on it was a fingertip pass and that will be half time and that's been a tough one for Connacht the half time score here at the sports ground Connacht 3 Scarlet's 22 but there's a little bit more direct running, particularly since uh, John Muldoon has come on. Maybe he's been directing that. Caelan Blade picks it up. A pass kind of floats out a little bit. And it's picked up a conic driving through. Dave Heffernan, very, very close to the post. I thought he was trying to touch the ball down on the post, but he's been driven back. The Senecli's defenders have got their feet right on the line. Connacht's slow ball into mi- in under the post again. They've been moved back a couple of metres. It's just lacking a little bit of composure and a little bit of directness and the ball has broken down at the back of that ruck but Connacht have held on to it and going out again onto the side Tiernan O'Halloran feeding it out it's an opportunity out there and Connacht are in for a score Craig Ronaldson Craig Ronaldson in there that was a good bit of patience Joe for the first time and you'd have to say John Muldoon was orchestrating a lot of that he was just moving his arms pushing people out well you can see an element of composure has come into the side since John's introduction um, and no doubt it's been helped by uh, Dennis Buckley being introduced in the front row and Quinn Rue as you say a big unit there in the second row lending his bulk as well Davis has put the ball into the scrum and it doesn't seem to have actually been a strike so nothing's really happening but slowly but surely Sinekli getting it back and Davis is away from the base of the scrum he's made yards into the 22 and that's a simple pass and that's another try for Sinekli well patience there and Connacht's defensive line absolutely nowhere DT Hitch Van der Merver Canadian international in for that try and the opportunity to convert it now 78 minutes gone 
It's Connacht 8. It's an Eckley Scarlets. And the scoreboard still says 25, but it's actually 30. OK, there, after match game part of the podcast we decided what we were going to do at half time because the game was going so badly um, and the final score 30 points to 8 um, sort of yeah they deserved it and, uh, I believe and I need to be someone might cross check me on this but I think the, only, the last time that Connacht conceded 4 tries in the first half of a game was against the Scarlets back in 2010 was it 2012 in the Scarlets when they lost 58-10 I can't remember the exact date at this moment in time but we've got uh, Dave Finn, we've got Lindy McKenzie, and we've got William Davis, who's just about recovered from his commentary. Um, and we'll start with Lindy, we haven't heard from yet. Um, your thoughts on the game, Lindy? I, I actually suspected that the score was going to reflect the personnel that Scarlet's came with and the personnel that Connor were lying out with, lining out with. And I, defensively, obviously, I think Connor were, were certainly to be found wanting. Attacking-wise, they had a lot of ball, but just the, the Scarlets are... I mean, they're, you know, as Pat Lamb said in, in, in his after-match press conference, you know, they've got British Lions in the team, they've got internationals. They could replace, you know, one international with, you know, Van der Meer on the wing, you know, in the second half. So I think it was a reflection, basically, on on two teams. One, which is gearing up for the, the semi-finals, and Connacht, which is trying to gear up in the best way possible for the playoffs with a whole lot of new personnel coming back after a long time. I mean, you can't expect Dara Leader or no. Ken Kelleher to be, to, to be up to speed, you know, against a team like the Scarlets. So I think the most important thing is, is that it's out of the way <laughs> and, and the concentration now is, is obviously the playoff. It is indeed, and I'll just I have to correct this because it's something that just bugs Irish people. It's the British and Irish Lions, but you know, <laughs> we won't we won't go down there, Dave. <laughs> well, we, sh- we should be thankful she didn't say this year's victims. Um, <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't. I've not much to add to what. Sorry, to, 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 Apologies. <laughs> <laughs> um, 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 I have not much more to add to that. Um, a couple of guys did did try try very hard. I thought the two flankers did fairly okay at times. But it was. It managed to be better, worse than exact. Better, worse than exactly how I expected. That I saw their team yesterday and, and went, "Oh God!" I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, Wayne Wayne Pivac came out with decided, determined that he was going to put his team the best team he could possibly put out. He had to make a change with John Barkley. He doesn't have James Davies. Instead, he brings in Will Boyd, who I don't know much about, and Josh McLeod, who I don't know much about, and they basically destroyed us in the first twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, at least we did. There was a little bit more fight in the second half, but you can just tell. I mean, there's no. It's an all. I mean, it was just. It's just. That's the lowest I've seen. Pat. That's the lowest. Andrew Brown was really, really down after the game. It's very hard to pick them up. And the only thing that could possibly be is is that it's Munster next week. And if you can't get up for Munster, you can't get up for anything. But another performance like that against Munster, we are not going to win a playoff. We certainly are. Well, I, I think you also have to recognise the fact that you know. There was a difference in the second half because John Muldoon came in and Quinn Rue came in. And I think John Muldoon's presence, and no disrespect to Andrew Brown, but John is so used to carrying that position and leading his troops that I think he just added the confidence to the rest of the players as well. He did, he did. William? Yeah, it was a a difficult night. They they were very impressive. I don't think you can take anything away from them. They they came out and they they took their chances uh, really, really well. And then they just coasted along. 
for the second half, I think. I mean, I think if they'd really wanted to, they could probably have gone at it a lot harder in the second half. But they had the job done. We essentially, we didn't quite gift them tries, but they looked very dangerous with the ball. We we just didn't. We And I know there's an argument that we're making line breaks and we're doing this and we're doing that, but I think sides really believe that we have the ball. They don't perceive an imminent danger. They're a, they know that if they just hold the defensive line, make their tackles, they don't have to do anything else. We tried to do that and they just were too smart. We, we, we've made a big point over the last few weeks about how we've been shoveling the ball across the pitch. And today, actually, we, we did the thing we, we wanted them to do. They ran in straight lines. Mm. But that, that became readable. So we actually, we actually, technically, we were doing the things we were supposed to do, but we just kept running into us. We kept running into some very good tackles. I mean, the, the first one through four for Wales started this game. Mm. That was an ex- exceptional back row. Mm. Tyg Byrne... If he wasn't playing in Wales, would be a starter for all four provinces. Let's, let's cut through that, it would be. And then outside, then from apart from Jonathan Evans, outside that is a, is a fully capped back line, apart from Hadley Parks, who's just who's not eligible because he's, he's, he's South African or New Zealand? Kiwi. Kiwi. They were superb. There wasn't one player who didn't, who didn't perform at minimum 85-90% for them, and there wasn't one player in that first half who came to 85-90% for us. There were some, like, some game performances. I thought Sean O'Brien did well. I thought Jake Heenan had moments. I thought Tiernan tried his best. Nobody, nobody went out to play badly. They just played badly, and that's probably why they're sort of best, because it was clearly not in their intention to play like that. They just did. They did. But we have to say, yeah, well done, Scarlets. Yeah, they had a 97% success rate in tackling at halftime, which is pretty impressive. I actually have to say I'm actually delighted for the Scarlets because they're my favourite team in Wales. They have, yes. as, as Pat actually said in, as well in, in, in press conference, they haven't made the playoffs for many, many years and they have suffered because of the Ospreys. And I'm actually purely delighted that they're actually in this position for the Welsh team. Yeah, and I think if they get Munster, they might, might have a chance against them. Well, somebody has to win an away semi-final at some stage. It's mm. 14-0 at the moment. Um, but it'll still be a big ask for them. But they, 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 were, they were impressive today, and uh, Pat Lamb acknowledged that in the press conference. He did indeed, and we'll hear what he had to say. Now we'll hear from Andrew Bowne and also a little bit from Wayne Pivak. Pat, that was a tough night at the office, especially the first half. Ah, oh, it wasn't good enough. I think we, we let ourselves down. But, you know, we said it, I said it at half time. You know, normally I go through some things that we can change and stuff, but I just didn't need, I just asked boys, tell me what you think it is. Um, you know, what are your thoughts? There's a bit of that game plan. I said, no, no, and someone had it, you know. We're, we're losing the, the physical battle. We, you know, we, we weren't at the races the first half, which is disappointing because we've set ourselves high standards. You know, we, we, we compare ourselves against what we, what we can achieve. Um, so I said it's a waste of time going game plan. If we don't, if we don't front up physically and start wanting some breakdowns, start wanting some collisions, um, because we just go back all day. And yeah, it was a lot better when we came out, but still not clinical enough. But at least um, I saw a little bit more fight from the boys in the second half, which was which was pleasing. And it's uh, you know it's disappointing because it's not a great night and good lot a lot of good people came out here and. Um, and I just said to the boys now, and you know, I'm, 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 I'm really thankful and appreciate, you know, we've acknowledged the boys and uh, publicly, and, and um, you know, the ones leaving, and, and I really appreciate people, the well wishes and that. But we still got a job to do. We're not finished yet, and the goal is Champions Cup, and um, we've got to uh, recover, prepare. We've got too many people probably aren't on form, you know, for one reason or another. 
um, and, um, and and we just got to re regroup and, and have a big week prepare we uh, for Munster, which will be a good challenge. Will the leadership group among the players be critical to what you do next week to get ready for Munster? Sorry, what do you mean? In the, 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 the leadership group, the, the, the sort of the, uh, yeah. the Wolfhound group or whatever. You know. The chieftains. Chieftains, that's yeah, the one. Yeah, yeah. Is, that, is that a crucial part of next week now? Is it, is it, is it almost the time for them to grasp it more than the coaches? Yeah, I think I think when I, when I look out there and obviously, um, uh, well, that, well, I think it's collective. You know, it's always always a collective. Like, you know, the coaches only do some part of it. The, the Then the leadership kick in, then the players kick in. So we're all responsible. Like, we win, we all take the credit, we lose, we all take the hit, and I've always said that. And we're a team that everyone needs to be on their job so that we can operate as a team. And when um, when, when we're not at our best, then um, we're a pretty average side. So, um, you know, we're all disappointed uh, with that, but we just got to move on, uh, take the learnings, as I said, and then from that we'll build to, to Munster, and then we still build to the, the playoff game. Players that came back tonight, I'm thinking of uh, Darrell Leader, who's been out for a long time. Even in the performance, will that be a benefit for them just to have got out there and I actually think, played? Yeah, without a doubt, it's a benefit that they've got out, but you can see the rustiness. You know, uh, I thought, uh, um, you know, our, our defending wasn't great in the first half, and, um, and a lot of that comes from the, the back three, but to be fair, you've got uh, uh, Darrell and CK, and we, we knew that was the risk and that, that we were taking, but we had to take the risk. We have to give these guys, get them on the field because we're running out of numbers, obviously, with Matt Healy still out injured and easy getting injured, um, Stacey injured, yeah, we, and we have to get these guys in, and we expected some sort of rustiness, but um, when you've got too many across the board rusty, um, it, it certainly doesn't help us as a team. But you also got to give credit to Scarlets, these British Lions and their Welsh boys, and a hungry team that are in a situation where they haven't been in the playoffs for many years and um, and that's the that's what we're facing and now next week obviously we face uh, a pretty uh, strong Munster team so these are all things that, are, that I'm looking forward to and other guys will get opportunities next week until we finalise the strongest possible team to, to, to play that playoff game. Andrew that was a performance at, uh, at the level is probably not anywhere near you wanted No, it was uh, very disappointed it's a long way off what we're, what we're used to and what we expect of each other and especially given the occasion with the possibly being our last home game, saying goodbye to a lot of, uh, a lot of good lads and a, and a couple of stalwarts of Connacht Rugby, you know it is, it is very disappointing but having said that, there's still a lot to play for, um, we'll come back Monday, we'll look at the review Try and take the positives out of it. Look forward to the next few weeks. First half was particularly difficult, but you had some guys there who barely played any rugby, and to come into a side, then a side who were third in the Pro Trail, that that was a big challenge for them. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. A, it was a change from uh, the last few weeks. Some good to see those lads coming back, like you said, the likes of King Keller, Dar Leader, uh, Maris Boshoff. Um, so we knew it was going to be difficult. We we talked about it during the week. There's new combinations in there, so. If mistakes happen, we, we look to stay positive and try and regroup. It's just uh, we didn't perform in that first half. Um, Scarlett's got the better of us, got the upper hand, uh, and we left ourselves too much to do in that second half. Look, looking forward to next week, uh, Pat's alluded there might be some more changes. It really is now about the getting, getting players ready for the playoff. Yeah, we won't look past Munster, but it, the end game is like the playoffs are the, the massive thing coming forward. You know, like that's a Champions Cup is still there. 
is still our end goal. So I suppose you're looking at trying to build a bit of continuity next week. You know, we, we know going down to Munster, it's going to be a huge task. It's going to be very difficult down there. So it's about getting a performance, hopefully getting a result and moving on to the playoffs then. Wayne, congratulations. That was a good, tidy performance. Yeah, very good first half. We were really happy with that. Uh, playing into a, you know, it was a strong wind and, and a bit of rain as well at times, and to get four tries and that um, that sort of exceeded what we probably thought we'd uh, we'd achieve. So very very pleased with that, and it sort of obviously set the foundation for for the win. Um, it was the sort of performance and the result that you want with the, at the end of the season. It sort of is it guaranteed you playoff position? Yes, you know we're in. So. Um, uh, now we look forward to the Ospreys next week, which is uh, at, you know the, the weight of uh, the, or the pressure of trying to make the top fours is, is out of the way now. So that just becomes a, a derby, and it's a, it's a massive match for us back in Wales um, playing the Ospreys. So we look forward to that, and then um, you know well earned break, and then, then we'll, we'll get ready for for our first semi final for a long time. Well, my late father's a Neath man, so I know exactly what it means next weekend. Um, Will you will you rest a few players next week, or, or is that impossible in a derby game? Uh, we'll, we'll certainly have a look at it. The focus has got to be the semi-finals. We're really, really hard to get here, and now we want to give ourselves the, the best shot at um, you know having having a great performance. And to do that, we'd like to get the, the best players on the field. And we've got a few guys that picked up uh, bumps today, so uh, we'll see how they are in the day in a day or two and make that call during the week. But certainly. Um, uh, we've got uh, an eye on the, on the playoffs now, obviously, and, uh, but it is a big derby, as we say. OK, that's the, enough of the match talk. Let's talk about something that got everybody talking this week was um, Bundiaki and his three-match ban. Who wants to take this one off? William. Um... Well, it came out of the blue a little bit. We weren't mm. aware that this disciplinary uh, activity was going to occur. Um, and we haven't really got an exact timeline of it, but I think what happened was that twice during the game, the referee spoke to John Muldoon and asked him to have a word with Bundy because of what Bundy was saying to the referee, either uh, in general, talking about decisions or whatever the situation was. We saw that happen on television, it's, it's quite clearly audible. Um, but what seems to have pushed it over the line was that at the end of the game there was an exchange between either between the referee and Bundy or there was just a one-way exchange. Mm. That went into the referee's report which they produce after every game and that then went to a disciplinary hearing. Uh, it has to be said that Bundy uh, pleaded guilty. He was told that he could appeal but I think when you plead guilty there's really really appealing is not going to to cut it mm. uh, apparently the start off level for this is a six match ban but it was reduced I suppose because of the fact that he, he hasn't been in one of these situations before and because he pleaded guilty mm. um, I think it's I don't think it reflects very well on him I think it's it shows a bit of immaturity he's a professional rugby player he knows how it works and I think to be caught, to appear to get into trouble at the end of the game when you've had two chances, he could have been yellow carded during the game. He could have even been red carded. It has happened. Uh, and I think the referee was le- lenient in that he realised the situation of how the game was. And he probably has an understanding of the type of player that Bundy is. And that 
has uh, and I and I mean that is as, as a he's a, he's a live wire. He's very passionate. But in this case, he's obviously overstepped the mark. And once you plead guilty to me, you're just accepting the situation. I feel he's let himself down a little bit. Uh, he's let his team down. He's let the organisation down. Somebody needs to have a little chat with him and say, look, all you can do is learn from this. You can't, yeah. you can't keep going on and on and on about it. It's happened. The situation's in place. Uh, it's an issue in rugby now with players barking at referees I think a better referee it, it's, it's not tolerated in rugby and I'm delighted with that it's absolutely unacceptable the only person who should be talking to the referee is the captain that's the way it is that's what's accepted and if you go the other way you finish up with anarchy like you see in soccer where they're screaming and shouting at referees and swearing at them and what I would like to see uh, I, what I would like to see going forward is I'd like to see other players being pulled up on this because I've seen other situations. I think a stronger referee than Ian Davis might have actually stopped that much quicker. Yeah. And I'm talking now about an international class referee who would have just said, cut it out, I'm not having it. I've seen Ben Whitehouse do it a couple of times where it is just he just stops it dead. Um, but he took the route of going through the captain. Situation is there, they've got to deal with it. And... I would be interested to know how Connacht have reacted internally. We probably won't hear that. We might well try to find out, but that'll be through official channels. Indeed. I think I'd also like to find out a little bit... Well, I think there should be a little bit more transparency in actually what was said and what is sanctionable. Um, On one hand, we had a report saying that, that, that Bundy had refused to shake hands with the ref after the match. I didn't... I didn't see it, and and I and I and that really overly doesn't bother me. But then on the one hand, if he didn't shake hands with him, but apparently he must have seen him afterwards to say something. So I mean, I think that's a bit confusing. What is acceptable? What is not acceptable? We don't know exactly what he said. You know, I think the referee would have been better, as William said, if he if he had spoken to Bundy and said enough Bundy or you're off and I would have preferred him to actually have put him off put him in the bin for 10 minutes to cool down and say that to him because as it was leaving it and Bundy getting more frustrated as time goes on and then to report have it happen at the very end of a match and then have it to go to a disciplinary committee afterwards means that now we've lost him instead of for 10 minutes we have lost him for three matches Mm. and I don't necessarily think that's acceptable either. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, William. Yeah, I think I think three seems very high uh, for whatever was said. Um, but that's the, that's apparently six is is the norm. That's and what, if that, it was after the match, he's no longer the referee. He's just a person in the street. If he's on the pitch, he is still the referee. But we you see this is where the transparency th- comes it from. Happened, we don't know when uh, this happened. I, I'm I'm prepared to say it. I think it happened on the pitch. I think it happened on the instant when he passed him on the pitch something else was said at that stage there's no more sanctions left to the referee other than to put it in his match report and a match report is produced by a referee after every game so it's inevitable that that has to go in the report he's not going to leave that out Mm. well he could choose to leave it out yeah he he, he could choose to leave it out knowing that Bundy was frustrated and possibly he should have thought that maybe did I handle this correctly myself and of course we don't know what happens behind closed doors with the referees either you know so there's no transparency with with referees we don't know where the referees are told this is the way you should have handled the situation you know and so maybe 
as I say, I think there should be a greater transparency all around. Indeed. Dave, Dave you've decided you will, you will talk about it in the end. <laughs> um, you're dealing with the reaction. A reaction happens because of actions. Um, I'm going to say two things, and this is basically going to be blatantly clear what I mean, but there were two sightings out of that game. One was a lead with a head and shoulder into a ruck, which could have caused damage to a player. That was a two-match ban. Hurting a referee's feeling is a three-match ban. And that's all I'm going to say on that one. Secondly, announcing in a press conference that you think a referee has been unfavourable towards your team is a fine. Announcing on a pitch directly to a referee is a three-match ban. There's a level of inconsistency here. Um, Also, this is completely bye-bye, but I've seen a decision made by the referee from the last game tonight in another game involving two other teams, which is unfathomable. That's where the frustration comes from. What, no one has answered the question, and it's going to get lost in all of this, is why was Bundy frustrated? Um, there is issues. I ex- totally accept it. I've had time to think about it. I totally accept everybody's point of view about it's not good for, it's not good for kids to see this. But at the same time, if you're worried about what's been said about referees uh, in front of children, don't bring them into the stands. Just don't. It's, it's the things they're going to hear in the stands are going to be far worse. It, has he let his team down? Ultimately, yes, he was, he was told three times. At this time of year, tr- you need to be avoiding situations where you get three-match bans. I mean, Dylan Hartley is not going on the Lions tour because he's considered someone who can do this sort of things. Bundy may end up stymieing his, rep- stymieing his career by get, developing a reputation. More importantly, if he does have a genuine gripe next season, he's not going to be listened to because it, is, it, is it personal? Is it personal? Is he just being... Is he just being mouthy for the sake of being mouthy, or does he have a genuine gripe? And if he's got a reputation for mouthing off at referees unnecessarily, then he's not going to be taken seriously, which means he's crying wolf. Yeah, well, my personal issue is that you don't talk to the referee. It's, it's, it, you're, it's hammered into kids from the age of eight. It's not about bringing kids in here. It's about the discipline of the game. Rugby is a very, very tough game to play. There's an awful lot of bodily contact at various heights, at various ways, and the referee has to be seen as the ultimate judge. And you have to accept it, doesn't matter how wrong he is. And that's my view. And you also need to be a gentleman and shake hands with people after matches, which at the very start of the season, Bundy wasn't doing that either. And I don't find that acceptable. I might be seen as a bit of a snob or a prude or whatever, but that's just me. I was brought up as a, as, as a rugby player and you showed respect and it didn't matter what. So um, let's leave that one there. We've talked about it long enough at this stage. Um, other better things that have happened in Connacht this week. Eric getting signed up as the... Um, Successor to Nigel Owen, or to Nigel Jesus, Owen. Wow, wow, that's a move in half. I would it over. Sorry, sorry. Well, that might, that, that, yeah, yeah. That, that, that might be quite a lot of people have been cited for saying the wrong thing. <laughs> no offence to Eric. Uh, look, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. It's sort of, well, it was a week, kind of go along for, for long periods of time where nothing happens. And then suddenly you get a week where it's just one thing after the other. Gavin Thornbury being signed earlier in the week. Yeah. Then we had a list of players who were leaving. And then suddenly from nowhere, it's announced that we knew there had to be a new uh, head of the academy. Mm. Um, it's an interesting one to go from being a head coach to being a head of an academy. I think it, it re- requires different skill sets. I'm not saying Eric doesn't have them. Um, he's been working in the amateur bit of the game, so we've seen players coming through. Um, it's just possible maybe that Connacht are concerned that not enough people are coming through mm. out of the academy. There isn't enough people arriving ready to play at this level. Um, we've I've seen some people leaving this week from the list who've come through the academy and haven't really... They've got a long way. And, you know, 
the thing with modern rugby is you could be 93% of the way there, but the other 7% is, is that's what it's about, you yeah. just don't get it. And, you, and as you say, that's what it's about. So it's an interesting challenge for him. He's Connacht through and through. Um, he's, uh, he can be very direct. Uh, we've seen him dealing, and you can do that with full-time professional players. I think handling younger players requires a different sort of skill set. Some you probably do have to kick up the arse, and some you have to put your arm around their shoulder and tell them that they're, they're going to make it and they're doing their best. But it's, more, it's probably a team collective in the, the academy situation. Yeah. Um, but maybe there is just a feeling that they want to ramp it up a bit. You, you know, if you look at Le- look at Leinster, I mean, they've got so many players; they probably can't keep track of them. Um, and if Tig Byrne this, e- this evening is a mm. prime example, he's playing at Sanekli. Um He's a, he's a Leinster player. They're all over the place. So Connacht are probably thinking, look, we need to get more guys through, and we they've had a bit of a drop off. So they've put somebody in there who, as I have to say, has coached at the highest level. Mm. He's coached at under-20s level, mm-hmm. won an under-20s Grand Slam, which mm-hmm. I think is important. So he has operated with players at that age group. He yeah. knows, and he knows talent when he sees it, and maybe to bring it out uh, the best in them. Yeah, indeed. Lindley? I think what's more important with Eric is that Eric demands from players... 100% as what he always gave. And I think if he can instill that work ethic in youngsters who have talent, yes. then the academy can, 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 can thrive. Mm. I think the thing about Eric is that he does demand that. As you said, he can be quite direct. Obviously, Eric is, has dealt with the under-20s. He is maturing. I would say there's always a case of good cop, bad cop. Mm. And I think Eric could be there as the, the person who pushes them. Yeah. who makes them work hard. I think one of the issues is because you have some very talented youngsters coming in first year academy, second year academy, third year. And I think when they get to third year, it's that step up mm. from third year in into the pro 12 side that seems to be the issue. And I think because Eric knows that step up, mm. that he might be the one to drive it. I also think it's very important that the, the, that the, the rest of the, the people involved in the academy there are, that there's someone there who does take the softly, softly approach. It doesn't have to be Eric who puts his arm around a player. Yeah. It, it, although I'm sure the players wouldn't mind if Eric <laughs> gave them a little bit of you know, one-on-one attention like that. But I do think that there is somebody there who has to look after the other aspect of, of young youngsters who may need a little bit of a help. Indeed. Dave? Yeah, I think I think everybody's raised legitimate points. I think we need to look at again about there's numbers coming into the academies. Where are they coming from? I come back to the fact that the three guys who were playing under 18s and under 19s from Connacht were neither of them are in schools. Uh, none of the three of them were in schools. They were in the, any of the three finals at senior level. Um, we saw the um, we saw the the. The all the, effectively the all stars for the school system was presented at halftime. None of those lads have gone on to represent Ireland. Whereas if we look at the under twenty setup, um, Sean Maston's been part of it, and Killian Gallagher's been part of it. But they're not close to they wouldn't be close to starting for college yet. But you've got Bill Johnson who's played for who's played for Munster. We've had Rob Little who's played for Ulster. We we then, then you look at some of the guys we keep going back to the likes of of Adam Byrne, Barry Daly, uh, Ross Byrne at Leinster. They were all part of the UCD side that did very well in the in the AIL last year. Uh, Joey Carberry gets into the Leinster squad because he's come through the academy, but he's getting regular game time at Clontarf. I think there needs to be. I think it'd be interesting to see I think what. That's because he's a New Zealander who learned his skills in New Zealand. 
<laughs> he's from yes yes he comes from that well known of course but as you said we all, as we all know Clontarf was ceded to New Zealand in the 1014 <laughs> with the death of Brian Baru I mean I've, I've heard of Cl- I know you're trying to claim everybody is New Zealander but trying to say that Nace and Clontarf are in are on North Island is stretching things a bit too much um, oh, also really. Dave Gallagher Remelton and Donegal first all black captain so you know it can go both ways um, <laughs> um but but I think I think there needs to be more done. And if Eric can get that joined up, thinking that if guys are good enough, um, there is I mean there is a bit of a problem. A lot of those lads I've seen Galwegians put out teams involved in a lot of the Connacht Academy guys. I've seen Corinthians do the same thing. Bucks do a lot of the same thing. But it just doesn't seem to be developing. There's a couple of lads. One of the lads who left tonight, Rory Maloney, was part of a really exciting under twenty team that won that won the the Grand Slam uh, of, of uh, a provincial Grand Slam. Sean O'Brien is the only player to come through from that side, which is really disappointing. They don't have to be successful. And yes, weak weak. Yes, you, Leinster can. Tyke Byrne, Kevin Thornby, another Leinster player, let go. But they can afford to let those guys go because they can bring in a Ross Maloney. They've got James Ryan who's been held back because of injury. Max Deegan has been held back because of injury. We can't afford the percentage drop-offs, the same percentage to drop off because we're starting with lower numbers. We can't afford only one guy to come through in three years. And if Eric can change that and it ties in with the academy, finding the young talent at the schools, finding the young talent at the clubs, and then developing through a combination of both in here and with the clubs, it can only be a benefit. And if Eric can do that, then the appointment is a very good appointment. Okay, so before we hit any other business, of course, we want to talk about uh, the the players who are leaving. Um, there's there's quite a few, Dave. Yeah, there is quite a few. The uh, they handed out the jerseys tonight. Uh, nice little ceremony to do at the end of every year. To players and coaches are moving on. Uh, they announced uh, there on Thursday the players that were leaving: uh, Roland Lockney, Danny Pullman, John Cooney, who we knew about, Napier Fox Madamua, Danny Quarter, who we knew is we knew about, Roy Parata, Shane O'Leary, Lewis Stevenson, Roy Maloney, Josh Rowland, and Ivan Sarota quite a list but you know I did a quick check on them and, and of that, those 11 players they only started 33 games between them now that's not appearances that's just starts you know so it's not as though it's probably the first time we've ever not lost any major major players Cooney's probably the biggest major player out of that lot I would suggest one thing though we do now seem to be a bit light in the loose head position um, we've really only got uh, a dedicated full-time not converting over from tight head uh, one that's Dennis <laughs> indeed yeah look Ronan Lockney's had a long career it's, it's that, that list contains people who've barely played and people who've been here 15 years yes and maybe it's a little unfair that they all have to go at the one time actually yeah um, Ronan's been here 15 seasons uh, I think he's involved with the Players Association I think at 32 he's had some injuries and you know he he deserves our thanks for what he's done. Mm. Uh, Danny Pullman, crowd favourite, never maybe became as much of a starter as we thought he would. Scored a lot of tries. Uh, he's ready to move on. And then you know, like Nibia Fox Matamua had some injuries at various times and maybe didn't quite develop into the player that we thought. It, it's not a science. This it, it does. You know, it, it some sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And. That's part, I suppose, what Eric's job is. He has to produce people to, to replace these guys. But they've all represented Connacht at various levels. They've all worked very, very hard, and we wish them well. They do indeed. Lindy, your thoughts? Oh, yeah, Ronan Lockney. What, yeah. what, what a gent, you know? Yeah. Just such a, a lovely, lovely person, and a person that you want 
in a squad like Connacht. You know, he really has been, uh, you know, in many occasions the glue, apart mm. from John Muldoon, who has kept that squad together. Always a voice of reason, always quiet. And, yeah, he will be he will absolutely greatly missed. I'm also, I'm, I'm also, I have to say, you know, Donnie Pullman has been a wonderful addition to Connacht since he came from South Africa. Um, he, I, I, I think... He, Myself, along with so many people, have rated him extremely highly. I don't think he's ever let the jersey down. He's, you know, he always had to adapt into he adapted into a centre as well for several for several matches because he was needed there. Um, I feel he will be. I know that he's got other. He's just recently married. Well, married last summer, and he married a, a Galway girl, and um, so he's quite, I think, content to to live here in Ireland. And I know he's also been studying for a degree, possibly in preparation for his for his future retirement. But I I, I would have liked to have seen him with an, with another season. I have to say personally, and I think he's a, he's another one like Ronan Lockney, who's quiet and a real gentleman and very polite, but is also one. The, the Connacht jersey coming from South Africa so well and with such pride. Okay, we've got we do have some money other business tonight, and Lindy wants to start off with um, a bit of interview about Warren Gatlin, was it? Oh yeah, very very timely. Um, the the BBC are doing a documentary on Warren Gatland and obviously ahead of the Lions tour, and they were over here filming in in Galway because this is really where it all started and this is certainly where his sort of European coaching started so they were actually here at the match this evening and um, they were getting great shots they wanted to get great shots it was convenient that it was also the Scarlets who who were playing Um, but they were getting great shots of the sports ground and obviously that will go out onto the BBC Wales eventually with where they have millions of viewers which is a great for Connacht Rugby to have that you know um, Mm -hmm. out there and they were obviously they were starting off with various people who who how he became involved in Connacht how he came here in the first who came to Galway in the first place obviously with Galwegians Mm. so they were up in Galwegians I think they were interviewing various people like Barry Gavin who would have played Um, I think they would had chatted to Nigel Carolyn obviously who had played with Warren and just various different people they were doing interviews with to try to get a handle on his time in Ireland to um, obviously to his first time in Ireland before he goes off and then the second time when he came back obviously to coach Connacht and then obviously linking that with um, his time as the Irish coach before he eventually ended up over in Wasps William you've got something you want for AOB tonight yeah I just want to, to make a it's it's the end of April here now we're still a month to the end of the season mm. it's worth contemplating that very shortly the season will not end until the end of June Madness. And I have to say this, I find this absolutely abysmal. I understand they're, 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 they're coaching it in terms of player safety. Uh, and we, we, that doesn't seem to add up to me because the players are going to be seen to be playing more rugby or, or, or the same amount of rugby would spread it over a, a little bit longer. But just the fans, has anybody actually said to the fans, what do you think of this idea? June, people go on family holidays. The GAA comes into its own here. We lose September, which is often the best month weather-wise. Mm-hmm. And I was just working this out a couple of days ago and thinking, you know, the it, it just, I really, really have a problem with it. And it doesn't seem to be under any discussion. It's coming. Uh, the only thing that might hold it up, possibly, 
uh, would be the TV companies who might actually begin to get a bit twitchy, especially in this part of the, the hemisphere. Um, you know, they rugby is suddenly would be putting itself as well up against things like Soccer World Cup, the European Soccer Championships, stuff like that. Mm. And whatever chance it has of getting in the back page of a sports paper or, or a daily paper, the sports section, now, because it's it has little gaps, that's going to disappear. But it seems to be coming, and I think fans maybe just need to think about that. Uh, it, it mightn't be any warmer uh, at the end of June than it is now, um, but I, I just think the rugby season, I actually think it's long enough as it is. It's, you know, it's the first week of September to the end of May. It used to be the first week in September to the middle of April, but I suppose that shows my age. Indeed. Rugby's a winter sport. Should be played in winter. Dave, you've got any other business as well? Um, yeah, well, it's, it's a lot less, it's a lot more trivial than those two. Uh, firstly, it's <laughs> nice to laugh at Leinster. Um, what? Oh, they're lights. Yeah. <laughs> we're standing and, in the sports ground. Yeah, yeah. What's the matter? And, like and secondly, this, this, night, is, this has been the thing that's been bugging me for years. But uh, finally, I just lost it um, on Thursday. I was, I found myself trolling. I was on my phone uh, last night, and I ended up watching my, finding myself watching Eating Trailfinders versus Yorkshire Carnegie. Um, <laughs> don't ask. Um, nothing more. Okay, no worries. We're, 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 we finished in two seconds. Just two seconds. All right, no worries. No worries. Thanks. Okay. We will. We will. You can. So, so basically, uh, Yorkshire uh, Eden Trophy is in a green kit. Yorkshire Canadian were in grey. Uh, rugby away kits. They're all bloody awful. <laughs> <laughs> and my only honorable business is that the posts are still abysmal. And I am giving, offering Connacht. I will come and paint them this year if they want, before the season starts. And as the lights before are being turned out, as you would have just started, you would have just heard this man is turning off the lights. We're out of here. And um, we'll be back for Munster next week. Bye, folks.